Now, Chad has already dealt with the first two of those, the heart and the soul. So this morning, yes, I'm going to talk about the mind. And I have to admit, the enemy has been working on my mind all week. He has tried so hard to distract, to dissuade, to discourage me. I tell you what, it has been one of the most horrendous weeks that I can ever remember. Some of you know my mom. She attended here for a while before she ended up in an assisted living facility. She fell on Thursday. I was planning to, to start writing my sermon Thursday night, and uh, we spent Thursday night in the hospital. Now, she didn't break anything, which is what they were afraid of. So, yes, praise God. <laughs> praise God. But then I ended up having to take the next day off of work and... Uh, try to find her a new place to live because they wouldn't let her go back to the assisted living facility. And so Friday I was running around Santa Maria trying to figure out what do I do with mom. Uh, we, we, we ended up finding a place and that meant Saturday we had to move her stuff from the assisted living over to this new place. She's still in the hospital. They were supposed to release her yesterday. But no, they're going to release her today, right after I get done preaching this morning. I'm going back to the hospital to get mom and uh, to sign her out and to, to get her over into her new place to live. The enemy works hard, doesn't he? He really does. I am excited to see what God is going to do this morning because nobody works that hard if there's not something he's working against, you know? You just got to believe that God is going to do something special in somebody's life today. Before I jump into loving God with all of your mind, I want to make a couple just brief observations about the totality of the verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's something basic we have to understand about the commandment itself. We are, for this sermon series, breaking the commandment down into four parts, right? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Makes for a great sermon series. But let's not anybody make the mistake of thinking that somehow we can compartmentalize a commandment like this. It's not a spiritual commandment buffet. We don't get to choose which parts we want to obey. It's a package deal. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, which, by the way, the mind is about your thoughts, but also in the Greek... It's about your imagination. Think about that for a minute. We have to love God with all of our imagination. Every thought that we think that's not concrete, that's maybe just conceptual, maybe even hopes and dreams have to get thrown in to that arena as well because it's all-encompassing. And then we have to love him with all our strength. I'm not going to talk about that at all this morning because that's next week. That's going to be amazing. My point here is that nothing gets left out of the commandment, so we have to respond to every part of it. The second thing we have to know about this commandment, when Jesus responds to the Pharisees, that's what he's doing. They're asking him questions. They're trying to trip him up. When he responds to the Pharisees, he's not actually saying anything new. He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with you your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Sometimes we think that these words originated with Jesus. They didn't. Jesus' answer was actually scripture that the Pharisees already knew because they were the keepers of the law. 
They were the seminary professors of their day. They knew the law inside and out. Why is that important? It's important because Jesus wasn't telling them something they didn't know, folks. He was telling them something they didn't practice. They didn't live. What does that mean to us? Most of you have probably heard these verses most of your Christian life. But do we practice them? Do we live it? So in the same way, he's saying the same thing to us. It's like, you've heard it said, which he did a lot. Love the Lord, your God, with all your soul, all your mind, all your heart, all your strength. But I tell you, live loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm a theologian. So are you. In some way, shape, or form, guess what? We're all theologians. Why? Because we all hold to a set of beliefs, and to some degree, we live our lives based on those beliefs, right? Okay. Most of us here would probably assent to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Okay. We would hold to the truth that He lived a sinless life. He died an undeserved death on our behalf, and He rose from the grave. He lives forevermore, right? Okay. So based upon that idea, when we read the words of Jesus, we are obligated to understand them as truth because he is God, right? We're obligated to accept his words as authoritative for our lives. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your being, we need to take that seriously. Because it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. We have to take this seriously. It's a no-brainer. So, my question this morning to begin with is this. What's holding you back? What's holding you back? I know the things that hold me back. I'll share some of them with you. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience. By that, I mean, for the most part, we have a pretty good grasp on what's right and wrong, what's good theology, what's bad theology. It just doesn't always translate into our daily living, our daily life choices. Because of this, we tend to live lives at a level less than what Jesus died to provide for us. And that's just the truth of the matter. Our lives don't have to be that way, though. Jesus, you know him, the son of God, that guy. Those words are authoritative because of him. And I think you get that idea. Because Jesus said, you know what? I came to give them life and life more abundant. And really, isn't that kind of the point of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That that would translate into a life before God that's abundant? All right, I have some things I want to share with you about loving God with all your mind. And I want, to, I want to address those in light of the idea that God isn't just saying this for his own benefit so he can get all your, your, your love, okay? He's saying it for your benefit too so that it leads to a life that he meant for you to live. Scripture speaks quite a bit about the mind. In fact, I found over 500 passages in Scripture 
that speak to the mind, to our thoughts. I picked just three this morning, and we're going to hit them pretty hard and fast uh, because they're not easy passages. But they should give us some clue of what it means to love God with all of your mind. The first one is this. Actually, you know what? Let's stop and pray because this is pointing every sermon I ever preach that, that we need help. <laughs> okay? I need help. I don't know about you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just I, I want to thank you. First and foremost, I want to thank you that you are who you are for us. That you didn't just create us and kind of let us go, Father, and just see how life works out. You created us to be in communion with you. And that communion is based on us loving you with every part of our being because it's not just what you deserve it's what you want for us as well so father instruct us from your word this morning grab our minds make us think differently as we encounter your scripture in jesus name amen first corinthians 2 9 through 16 this is out of the niv No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit teaches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is such an interesting passage. You know, this could be a whole sermon series all by itself, this particular passage, because it is is misunderstood by so many people, partly because it plays back and forth between the mind of God and the mind of man. How does that work? And what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Paul is not saying in one breath here that we cannot know the mind of the Lord and in the next that we have the mind of Christ. That would be at the very least weird, if not contradictory, right? This should actually be understood as a rhetorical question. A better translation would be, for who knows the mind of the Lord that he should teach it? Go to the Greek, it works, okay? Who knows the mind of the Lord that he should teach it. Now, of course, based on the verses just above that, the answer is the person who has the mind of Christ. That would be the person who can teach what the mind of the Lord is. This is the truth Paul is conveying in the passage. Think about this. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. It requires more than just head knowledge. It requires more than a literary knowledge of the scriptures. The promise of an abundant life requires the presence of the Spirit of God so we can thereby discern the mind of God and make choices then that are consistent with His thoughts. And that's really the crux to the whole passage. 
what Paul is talking about here is that we have the Spirit of God so that we can understand the mind of God. And in so doing, then we can teach others what the will of God is because we have the mind of Christ. Does that make sense? If your mind is not informed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, it will not discern the heart of God no matter how much information you might possess. After all, think about this. The Pharisees had plenty of information about God, right? But their level of discernment was such that Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, people who are dead inside. And that's about as far from the abundant life as I can imagine. So the first prerequisite for loving God with all of your mind is to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that whatever information you do take in about God is filtered through the Spirit of God. Get that? If it helps, you can look at this as antivirus protection for your theology. That brings me to the second passage this morning. See, we're we're cutting through these fast, right? It's sort of an antivirus protection for your relationship with God. The passage comes from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is, the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. Folks, loving God with all of your mind requires a mind that has been renewed. What does it mean to have a renewed mind? You know, we kick that term around in church a lot. I I really don't know that we understand it very well. I'm not sure that, you know, most Christians, if they were asked, what does it mean to have a renewed mind, would know really even how to define that. Simply put, I want to give you a definition, definition right now, okay? So if you're writing this down, go for it. Renewing your mind is the process of exchanging lies for truth. Isn't that simple? That's, that's it. Renewing your mind is the process of exchanging lies for truth. It's the exchange of our natural way of thinking for God's way of thinking. It's an exchange of our thoughts about God for what the Bible actually teaches about God. This means that the renewing of your mind is much more than knowing additional information It's not about even the power of positive thinking. I want to address those two things because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have taught that. You just need to know more or you need to think differently, positively, power of positive thinking. You know, that's, that's big in the world today. It's also, unfortunately, really big in the church today. It's not that it doesn't belong in the church. Don't get me wrong. God is all about positive thinking. But it has to have a purpose and a point. And God's always does. So let me address the idea of, you know, just accumulating information. As a teacher, as an instructor, I love to teach, by the way. You know, it's just one of my passions. 
teachers tend to uh, kind of approach every problem with an instructional basis. You know, we just think more information is a good thing, you know, because more information is going to help the situation. Not always true. But that's what we think. That's how we think. And a lot of people think the same way. We just need more education. It's the natural conclusion to solving the problem. All we need is to know more. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm all for education. Like Chad, I'm working on a, a master's degree right now in theology. Yeah. Folks, I'm almost 62 years old. And I'm still learning. I'll be done with my, uh, my master's in March, and I hope to complete my doctorate before I hit 65. I love to learn, and I love theology, literally because theology is defined as the study of God, and I love God, so I love learning about Him. One of my life verses, literally since I was a teenager, which, yeah, that means 40 years or more, is 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I've held that one close since, literally, since I was a teenager when I got saved. Teaching, study, and education are critical to the renewing of the mind, even if they're not the only things that are needed. This is probably a good place for me to, to take a moment and, and make a shameless plug for something I believe every Christian should do. In fact, I believe it's one of the primary directives of the New Testament church, and that's discipleship. Chad talked a little bit about this. Starting in the fall, starting in September, we're going to be offering some classes, and yes, I will be teaching one of those classes. It's called Transformational Theology. It's actually a systematic theology that I created. And I created it for a reason and a purpose. There's a lot of systematics out there. I have tons of systematic theology books. Most of them are just brilliant, okay? I don't claim to be brilliant. But I have a purpose and a point in this. Transformational theology is about theology that transforms the way we think about God and therefore the way we think about life and one another. There's a lot in theology that just it's just information. There's a lot of things that in the academics, because yes, I'm in seminary, okay, and I deal with seminary professors all of the time now, that just, it doesn't change your life. It doesn't contribute to you knowing God and relating to God, much less relating to people any better. My favorite one is lapsarianism. Why they want to debate lapsarianism, I don't know. It's the craziest thing. There are three types of lapsarianism. I'm not going to share the whole thing about you. Please, please don't. Yeah, right. But basically, it's an argument about the chicken came first or the egg. It's, did, did man fall and then God decree that he would save man and then man got saved? Or did God decree that man was going to be saved and then man fell and God saved him? And, and they all have different names. Okay, there's supra, there's infra, and there's sublapsarianism. Okay, who cares? When I was young, I, I got my first book about the subject of angels when I was a, a freshman in college. And it was Billy Graham's brand new book at the time, Angels, God's Secret Agents. I don't know if anybody ever read that. 
fantastic little book about angels. Started me on a, a journey for a couple decades of just collecting every book on angels I could collect and reading all about them, you know. And, and Billy was like this. He said, you know, people didn't talk about the subject of angels before he wrote this book. It became popular after. Because there had been so much theological debate about stupid stuff, like how many angels could stand on the head of a pin. Who cares? But that's what theology can be like at some times. And, you know, it's, it's fun for them to debate all those things and everything. I don't care. I don't care. Transformational theology is only about the theology that helps us think differently about God so that it applies to our life in a practical way that changes how we live before him, how we're able to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the point of transformational theology. It is systematic. We will go through the thing just like a systematic theology in terms of I will hit God, I will hit Jesus, Christology, I will hit soteriology, which is salvation. I will hit anthropology, which is man. Harmatology, which is sin. I'll hit all the subjects that systematic hits, but I'm going to hit them differently. And so I want, I want to encourage you, get into one of these classes. You know, you don't have to take mine if you have already studied theology. Maybe you don't even want to do that. Uh, but these classes are all bent towards one thing, helping us grow in our relationship to God and one another through understanding who he is for us, and then, in turn, who we need to be for him. It really is about renewing our minds, how we think. I think in the past, the church has done a rather poor job of getting us discipled. It's just the truth of the matter. I've done some different research projects one of the, 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 uh, the firms that does research for the Christian church is the Barna Group. You probably know about the Barna Group. And their conclusion about discipleship in the church is that most Christians don't actually know very much about what they believe. I don't want that to be this church. I want you all to know what it is you believe, why it is you believe it, so that you can testify to that truth. Okay, that's the end of the commercial. Let's go back to renewing the mind real quick here. The second part of renewing the mind that I wanted to talk to you about is this idea of positive thinking. Some people think that the problem with the mind is dwelling too much on negative thoughts rather than positive thoughts. You know, that's it's not an unbiblical idea. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think about such things. The Bible wants us to think positively. It just has a purpose in thinking positively. It's that we're supposed to be thinking about the God who is positive. And that takes a renewed mind to do that. It's not just more information. It's not just, you know, better thoughts. Your mind actually has to be renewed. You need more than the power of positive thinking. You need the power of God's way of thinking. The power of God's truth brought to bear on the lies of the world. I use the idea brought to bear for a reason, for a purpose, because it's a process. Okay? It's not something that happens overnight. Nobody gets discipled overnight. In fact, Eugene Peterson calls it uh, a long obedience in the same direction. That's what discipleship is. 
a long obedience in the same direction. But perhaps you could even call it uh, a battle orientation too. You ever noticed that Hollywood has made an art form about getting dressed for battle? You ever notice that? I see it in, in every action movie I've ever watched. They say it started with Lee Marvin in a really old Western called Cat Baloo. You guys probably aren't old enough to even know. He was an old gunslinger. He gets suited up to make his last stand, and they make this big theatrical production about him putting on his hat, his vest, his guns, the whole nine yards, you know. But ever since that movie, pretty much every action movie that has ever been made has had a scene in it where somebody's getting suited up for battle. Ever watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that didn't have that scene in it? Every one of them does. The Bible compares renewing your mind with the process, folks, of changing your clothes. You first need to take off the old clothes, the lies, and then change into new clothes, the truth. How many times do you change your clothes? At least once a day, right? Probably more. I mean, even if it's just getting up and getting dressed in the morning. Okay. This means through daily confession, daily repentance, you're putting off the lies that you're, to tempt, you're tempted to believe. Lies like, I'm still the same person. I keep failing, so I'll never change. I have to earn God's grace, God's favor. That one goes hand in hand with the lie that says, this bad circumstance in my life is God's way of punishing me for something I did or something I failed to do. How about the lie that says, God's given up on me? Or today's going to be a terrible day. Or all I really need is more money to make me happy. That's been proven wrong so many times, it's not even funny. You know the lies, though. They get whispered in your mind by the enemy all the time. One of my personal favorites the world is broken. There's nothing much anyone can do about it. I just got to get through. I heard that one from my little brother this week. I told you it's been a bad week. When we talked about him being diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer, they've given him, with treatment, maybe two, three years. He's four years younger than I am. I told you it's been quite a week for my family. God has tried to mess with our minds so much, and I'm not even sharing half of it with you. Listen, if you want to love God with all of your mind, you're going to have to deal with the lies and the wounds. If any of the lies I just shared with you are lies that you deal with, let me invite you to see me or my wife after the service this morning. My wife's this cute little blonde right here. The only highlight of our week Friday was our 39th wedding anniversary. Why she puts up with me, I don't know. She loves God, so she loves me. <laughs> if you deal with those lies, see one of us, because the release ministry has appointments available this Saturday. Uh, that wasn't in the slideshow this morning, but I think... Uh, Justin's going to put it on the screen for me anyway. 
this Saturday, either at eight, uh, 9 or 10.30, we have appointment slots open for people who want to get rid of the lies and the wounds that life has inflicted upon them and exchange those lies and the wounds for the truth of God. Does that make the lies and the wounds go away? No, but it gives you a starting point to deal with the enemy that speaks those into your mind. You'll, you'll have a stake you can drive in the ground that when he comes calling, when he comes whispering into your mind, you can say, no, I dealt with that. Get out of here. Talk to the hand. That's what the release ministry is about. It's to release you from the lies and the wounds, but also to release you into the abundant life Jesus called for you to live. Folks, the truth is, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for all your sins. God is for you, not against you. You don't have to try to be a new creation. You are a new creature in Christ. Right now, now, no matter what your circumstances, and I'm talking to myself as much as anybody right now, God is working all things together for your good, for those that are called according to his purposes and love him. That's just the truth. Renewing your mind is the establishment of these truths in your thinking. Your mind is the, uh, is the object of renewal, and God's truth is the instrument or the tool of renewal that he brings to bear on the lies. Sometimes it's a tool that looks more like dynamite. You know, he just blows them out of the water. God's spirit is the truth agent of renewal as he brings those truths to reality in our lives. The result is the process of learning to love God with all of your mind so that you can live an abundant life in Christ. Last scripture I'm going to share with you this morning, and man, I'm doing great on time. This is awesome. It comes from Philippians. It's one of my favorite passages from Philippians. I memorized the whole passage when I was younger, and I've forgotten half of it now. It's about Christ emptying himself. What's important is not so much that Jesus set aside his godly prerogative, which is what it says, to function as a man on this earth, but in the do so doing, he completely submitted himself to the Father. Listen to the words. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind, again, we're talking about the mind, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider, NIV uses robbery, I don't like that word, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in likeness and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know how hard it is to read a verse like that when you memorized it in a different translation? Man, I was just tripping all over that thing. When I was younger, we didn't do NIV. Uh, we had the NASB, and that's what I, I memorized it. It's nothing like that. This is what it means, though. 
to function in the mind of Christ. It's about surrender. This is what Jesus is modeling in this passage. We call this thing the kenosis passage. And that's just a a fancy Greek word that that talks about Jesus being transformed, uh, laying aside his godly prerogative and taking on the form of a man. But the idea behind it is just this one idea, surrender. He surrendered his rights. We're talking about God here, you know? And yet he became one of us. I can't even wrap my mind around that. I don't know a theologian that can. It's just mind-boggling to think that God would do that. But he did, for us, do that. But the thing we need, I want you to take away from this passage, there's a lot you can take away from it, but today, what I want you to take away from this passage is this one idea. He submitted himself completely to the Father. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that though he was God, did not consider holding on to that, but rather emptied himself. Jesus makes this clear. You know, he said, I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say, how to say it, I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. That that level of submission carried through his ministry to us. It was a, a level of submission to the will of the Father that defined Jesus' relationship to the Father and Jesus' ministry to us. Therefore, it should define our relationship to God and our ministry to one another. The Bible never separates our love for God from our loving one another. Obviously, Jesus didn't do that because the second commandment is like the first. He said that, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Think about this. If loving God with all our mind means surrendering our thoughts to his thoughts, then it follows that the abundant life that comes through a renewed mind is also a life that is surrendered to God's way of thinking, right? Of course, that begs the question, how do we get there? Like I said, I'm a theologian. I am what I call a practical theologian. If it doesn't have something practical to do with my life, it's just more information, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm a pragmatist. That's just the way of it. I want to know, how does it answer the question? How does it apply to me? Surrender, folks, is a function of the will. It's a choice that we make. Sometimes... It's a cold-blooded choice that we make because we don't feel it. You know, it's not, we're not heart-led in this. We're mind-led in this. You know, really, every part of that commandment is mind-led. I don't know why Jesus put mind in the middle of the thing. It should have been at the first thing, maybe, because every one of those things, loving God with all your heart is still a choice you make. With all your soul, which is your body, yes, but also your your volition, your ability to make choices, okay, and your emotions. Those are all comprise your soul. But every one of those is governed by your mind and your strength. I'm not going to preach tomorrow's or next week's message, but your strength is also governed by your mind because your actions are governed by what you think. One of the, the great 20th century preachers and teachers, Oswald Chambers, some of you know him, my utmost for his highest, right? Okay. Oswald Chambers said this. 
It is my determined purpose to be my utmost for his highest, to be my best for his glory. You see, this this is a function of the mind, isn't it? This is a question of the will, not of debate or reasoning. I love the way Oswald says it. You know, he's got that Irish brogue. It's so cool. It is an absolute and irrevocable surrender, a shutting out of every other consideration and keeping myself before God in this one thing only, my utmost for his highest. It's about, it's about your mind. It's about being determined in your mind to pursue him to give your utmost for his highest, to regard no other thing as more important than him. That's what it means to love God with all of your mind. How do you do that? It comes from asking the question daily, Lord, what shall we do together today? You get up in the morning, start making that your first prayer. Lord, what shall we do together today? I want to think your thoughts because I want to do your will. What are we going to do together today? I have never had the Lord not answer that prayer. Never. Or maybe this one. Lord, who do you want to be for me today so that I can be the person you designed and destined me to be for others? Want to hear that one again? Lord, who do you want to be for me today so that I can be the person you designed and destined me to be for others? It begins and it moves forward through submitting our thoughts to his thoughts, just like Jesus did. That is tied to the renewing of your mind that confronts the lies of the enemy and replaces them with the truth of God. It is loving God with all your mind because you're tapping into the Spirit of God that not only informs your life, but empowers it and guides it. It walks you through those prayers that you pray for daily connection to God. It is loving God with all of your mind. Will you succeed in that? No. None of us do. Dwight L. Moody, some of you have probably heard that name. He was probably the greatest evangelist of the early 20th century. In fact, it is said that he led as many people as a million to Christ. I, I, I know I've, I've led hundreds of people to Christ in my lifetime, but I got nowhere near that kind of response. And Dwight L. Moody was often heard saying, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully submitted to him. In fact, on his deathbed, they say that Dwight said that again. The world has still yet to see what God can do with a man who is fully submitted to him. Actually, we saw it, folks. We saw it in the person of Christ as he emptied himself of his godly prerogative, took on our form, became a man for us, 
but lived a perfect sinless life, perfectly lovingly connected to the Father, we have our example. Now, do we live up to that example? No, I realize we don't. I, I know I don't. I know I need my mind renewed all of the time. I know my mind crashes in on me sometimes, like the week I've had this week. It crashed in on me several times. There are still things that happened this week. We don't know what's going to come of them. They're still up in the air. We're trusting God for them, but we don't have answers yet. Maybe you're sitting there this morning in the same place. You don't have answers yet either. It's not important whether you have the answers, folks. It's important about how you pursue those answers. The only way that I know is in submission to the will of God. The only way that I know is in surrender to Him. Chad's going to help us out here. I want to give you one last thought. While loving God with all your mind sounds like a very personal thing, and it is, it should never be thought of or approached as isolation from the body of Christ. We don't do this journey alone, folks. It can't be done in isolation. We have to do it with one another. We need the strength of one another because where the, the Spirit of the Lord is, you know, he, he just gathers a crowd. And we need that crowd because he inhabits the praise of his people in that crowd. And we need that. I want to invite anyone and everyone who wants to either begin, continue, or deepen their walk into loving God with all of their mind to come forward for prayer. Prayer team, would you come forward now? Find one of these people. Let them pray over you. Pray with them. Please think about joining the classes in September. We all need the renewing of our minds. We all need the fellowship of learning together in Christ.